everyone and welcome back to the EdTech podcast, the show about improving the dialogue between ed and tech for better innovation and impact. This week, we throw back to my visit to Dubai in March. I was visiting the Global Education and Skills Forum, which hosts the Global Teacher Prize and the Next Billion Prize. The Next Billion EdTech Prize was launched by the Varki Foundation to recognise the most innovative technology destined to have a radical impact on education in low-income and emerging world countries. Because of this mission, the types of EdTech offered is refreshingly different to that often talked about. In this episode, you'll hear from the three startup finalists, Ubongo, Praxi Labs, and Dost, who each received $25,000 in prize funds. Ubongo is based in Tanzania and leverages the power of entertainment, the reach of mass media and the connectivity of mobile devices to deliver effective localised learning to African families at low cost and massive scale. Its family-friendly content promotes literacy and education in resource-poor areas. DOST is based in India and empowers parents of any literacy level to take charge of their child's early education, creating short, friendly audio content that is set, sent to parents via their mobile phones. And Praxi Labs is based in Egypt and provides virtual laboratories for schools and learning organisations in the Middle East and beyond, with 3D simulations of major experiments in biology, chemistry and physics. Students can access these from their devices at any time. You'll also hear from Carla Ertz, the director at Tomorrow Institute, about the prize and Next Billion EdTech Summit and the Amidion Network on their recent EdTech report. If you're involved in delivering education in low-income countries, either as an EdTech entrepreneur or as an educator leader, then this one should be for you. Don't forget to comment at Podcast EdTech and we would love it if you could rate and review the EdTech podcast wherever you're listening in. Have a great week. Goodbye. Okay, so I'm really thrilled because I was just about to leave. And then uh, Doreen Kessie, who's the Chief Business Officer for Ubongo, uh, based in Tanzania and the winner of the Next Billion EdTech Prize here at the Global Education Skills World Forum, just came through the door so all, all of the communications um worked so that's really great and uh congratulations on winning today thank you so much yeah um can you explain a little bit about what happened this morning and the pitching process mm-hmm. um and then we can dig into ubongo and, and what it uh you know the mission of ubongo as well yeah, today was, uh, so we were, I mean, we started off as 30 companies, uh, pitched, and then they cut us down to six, and today um, those six companies were pitching. So um, it was incredible, the experience, um, being out there and really uh, seeing all these people were excited to hear about um, our work, um, it was really good. I think what's what's been overwhelming is the feedback after (laughs) especially after winning Um, so 
yeah people just are in terms very of excited. volume of interest and people exactly and, and wanting to collaborate and yeah. partner and help um i mean people offering free help i've had prime ministers say i will volunteer oh, really? <laughs> i'm like wow well, t- this t- is tell me more which prime minister was that yeah, i met a former prime minister of bosnia okay and, uh, from bosnia and he was like yeah i love this work and i'm happy to support it anywhere i can That's um, amazing. sign me up volunteer anything and i was like wow this is amazing i think yeah. did you get his resonate. contact details yes i do i do <laughs> he, like, he actually do? just emailed it yeah That's he's fantastic. like i want your email now um so that was really good i think people really resonate it re- resonates with people like what the challenges are in education and especially mm-hmm. africa mm-hmm. right because you don't i mean we don't have most most families don't have access to internet or devices so what do we do mm-hmm. you have to get creative you have to be innovative and fast yeah you have to re- how do you reach those people on mass because we've got so exactly. used to where people do have connectivity and smartphones that yeah then it's, it's like, almost like mindless isn't yeah it? it's like oh yeah and that's the challenge like there is there is a lot of great educational content out there it's just not getting to the poorest kids in Africa. Yeah, and there's yeah. a reason why. And then, you know, um, I think for us, that's what uh, we are always looking at. How do we find ways to get this content very creative and innovatively to masses? And so tell me more. So um, what is it in a nutshell? Yeah. And then, you know, what's the problem that you're trying to solve and all those good things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, so basically what we do is we produce localized um, top quality educational media and deliver it um, through TV, radio and mobile phones. Ah, yes, I was in your initial pitch now. Remember? Yeah. yeah. So it's sort of edutainment on the borders of educational content. Exactly. So these are educational cartoons uh, that teach kids math and science, early literacy, numeracy, um, life skills. We teach growth mindset, resilience all these things um, and uh, and it's through animated episodes but then it's not just uh, cartoons right we uh, also have ebooks books we use SMS messages to to send uh, educational messages to parents and kids um, then we also have interactive voice response because that's most people just have feature phones and they can only listen yeah. call a number and listen to stories um, so we send like parental tips on like how do you engage more in your children's learning and so this um, is the so i just interviewed dost so mm-hmm. similar thing in that you ring up and you there is a, a kind of recorded message of content yeah like, so we do yeah we do that okay and then we're on tv and then radio and then we also have apps applic- android apps ios apps yeah that parents who have internet can access so you've got this omni-channel offering yep uh that you're tailoring to different people to dependent on their needs mm-hmm. so it mm-hmm. sounds like mm-hmm. a lot of work how, it's how a big, multi-platform <laughs> learning resource how, how big how big's the team the team is now 26 okay. people full-time yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a it's a lot it's yeah. really a lot and then when did it start how did it grow um started about five years ago okay. and uh really looking to fill this gap of why do we have content out there first we have content right in in the west that yeah. is great on khan academy 
and, and so forth. But it's not reaching the poorest kids in Africa. Mm-hmm. And even if it did, it's not localized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, it's not just that. It's like it's not in the languages that these kids speak. Yeah. So what do we do? Um, and so we said, okay, why don't we start with animated content, uh, edutainment, and, and leverage TV because it has the widest reach along with radio and really get this content out there to masses. So we are doing this, um, like, you know, in Tanzania, a lot of kids may not have, like, their own TV at, at home, or but they have access to one, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you find like a lot of kids um, are rallying around the TV and just watching in the community together. And that's why you have to make it as together. good. Yes. That they, you know, will choose to watch that channel as opposed yes. to whether it's oh, football they, or whatever. They love it. Yeah, yeah. Like the characters, it's all story based and very catchy songs that are original songs. So, you know, like when we're teaching letters, it's like letter A, letter A. There's a song, there's a dance. The letter is talking to the child, telling the child what to do, interact with me, jump with me, sing with me, come with me. Yeah. So when kids watch our shows, they're not <laughs> sitting still. Yeah. They are moving they're dancing there because they like it prompts them to do that okay with it being content is it is it um kind of uh content that's generated within your company or is it through partnerships with existing content providers we produce everything in tanzania in a very small room this is much bigger (laughs) really (laughs) yes wow in a very tiny studio and uh, we produce everything ourselves we have animators we have a team of sound engineers we have researchers educators our whole process of creating content is user-centric so we always have kids in the office they have to come to test uh, the content so when we write a script we bring kids to 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 look at it and like we read it to them and see what's happening do they like it are they learning and then we move on to the next thing and we test through and through through. well this is one of the questions so um yeah how do you measure the impact yeah so um yeah the uh, whole process like i said is very user-centric and then when it comes to measuring impact we do randomized control trial studies in partnership we've done one with in partnership with the university of maryland Mm -hmm. um and we've seen significant improvements like 12 Kids who watch Akeli and Me improve by 12% in school readiness scores yeah, yeah. Um, than control groups and also outperform their peers by 24% in counting. So what's next? <laughs> I mean, there's 440 million kids in Africa mm-hmm. and they're not... Uh, they're going through a severe learning crisis Mm -hmm. on top of everything like if you look at oh no classrooms no books no teachers under trained teachers all of that stuff like actually the education we're giving them right now those who are in school is late Mm -hmm. it's like preparing them for the past Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they will graduate and they will not have any skills needed for the 21st century or beyond. Mm-hmm. Like nothing, right? So we are wasting their time. We are lying to them and they're going to be very frustrated. So we want to fix that. We want to teach kids skills that they need, you know, critical thinking, problem solving skills, all these character strengths, really important, especially in Africa where you have like the biggest leadership crisis um anywhere <laughs> you know um so there's know. a lot i'm from the uk <laughs> i know <laughs> but like, our problems out. Yeah, like africa we are going through stuff right i think 
we need to reach what we want to do is transform learning by reaching mm-hmm. all 440 million. Our plan is to reach 30 million by 2022. 30 we are at 11 million right now. 11 million, okay. Yes, and those okay. are the numbers that we have, but we yeah. know we are reaching more. And do you foresee partnering with schools and uh, kind of going in that way and becoming more yeah. involved in the hands-on stuff in the classroom as well? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, So what we are saying is like, do you have devices in the classroom? Use this content. Mm-hmm. Use it because um, the challenge is a lot of times a lot of schools in in Africa don't have actually they don't have tablets they don't have computers so it's like oh they, they and they don't have TVs either mm-hmm. right in in schools uh, or they don't even have electricity so it can be challenging but for the schools that have these devices we give them the content and mm-hmm. we say look use it for blended learning as mm-hmm. a teacher in school we've tried this in Tanzania and we, we went to the rural schools where ki- kids were dropping out to go uh, just you know be farmers or whatever uh, or to go get married and, and, and we saw t- kids are coming back to school because now they are hearing from their friends that learning is now fun mm-hmm. right like we watch cartoons and then like about fractions then the teacher teaches us uh, fractions it's like oh my god something has changed and now school is engaging and fun i want to be there i want mm-hmm. to go i want to go see what's going on so this is exciting very exciting because it sparks imagination in children and then they're like oh yeah now i love math and how did you get into this? What were you doing beforehand? Um, so I, I mean, this is for me is very personal because I grew up in rural Tanzania with going to the craziest schools where, you know, we did not have resources. Mm-hmm. And um, then later on, so that was like that extreme. And then later on, I got the opportunity to study in the US. And I was like, what? How, how did, the, so what was the opportunity? The, was it like a scholarship? Or? Yeah, it was a scholarship to go study in the US. And I was like, my goodness, the difference <laughs> in the quality of education that I was getting in Tanzania yeah. compared to the one in the US. I was like, this is, is wrong. Like yeah. it's injustice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's not fair. It's not like people are stupid mm-hmm. it's it's like people don't have access mm-hmm. right i was like i i have to go back home and do something about this so i studied business but i have always been passionate about and i really believe that like education is the solution to a lot of our yeah. problems yeah. in this world and if we teach kids differently like we will make a lot of progress um and so I went back home and I and I and I joined this uh, because this is the way for me. I believe this is how we change yeah. the world. Well, I think they must be like this is a good uh, good posting because uh, yeah, you're, you seem like you're a bit of a dynamo. You're just gonna like. <laughs> Yeah, so I think um, I was working in Washington, D.C. I worked at Wells Fargo and I was feeling Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. you know what, What, whose life am I changing here? Mm -hmm. Like we're making somebody richer and that does not make me like motivated. So like this, I have a lot of these uh, (laughs) patterns when people are speaking, they're banking or consultancy and they're like, they get to a certain point and it's like. Something's got to change. Yeah, I, I was very unhappy. Mm-hmm. I was very unhappy. And I was like, yeah, I'm going back home. And, I'm, and, and you know, like, I couldn't leave in the U.S. full time. Mm-hmm. Like, you, I feel guilty. Like, yeah. who am I to have, um, like, I, I just feel like it's wrong. Like, I was educated so I can help others. Like, mm-hmm. there is 
like it was not just for fun it was not just for me like it was for everybody else i left behind mm-hmm. and i have to go back for them so i couldn't like i was like i can't live in the us i feel too guilty i and I well, just and some uh, <laughs> so uh, who are some of your favorite characters in terms of the children that you've got to know that use the content that you've got to know yeah, as you've worked there so i am actually one of the characters oh, okay <laughs> i meant i meant the users so the, oh. the kids that you've got to know oh. that engage with it i, I bet when oh. they're in the office okay. I'm, you you were describing it as quite small when they come yes. in and bet, you know oh my god you oh you have i i wish you could visit our office so we have these two kids andrew and sarah and they come almost every day because also their mother works with us and what we've seen like it's incredible like like so sarah started coming to the office since she was born and um you know as she's been growing up we've been testing different content with her and you can tell like like you can just see how sharp she is like her social emotional skills are so high and she can hold a meaningful conversation with you like she is such a joy like such a joy and you can see that this content is actually making a difference So we have a, a whole raft of different people listening in. Um, you know, some of them are educators, some of from early years right up to higher education, mm. investors, etc. Um, are any of those useful? What kind of partnerships are you looking to to kind of build to help grow what you're doing as well now? Yeah, um I think I mean for us we want to continue growing, uh, reaching as many kids as possible. So funding is definitely needed and really important for that. Uh, but we also I mean the way we do this is through partnerships. We also uh partner with a lot of different organizations to distribute our content because we know we cannot do it alone. We are good at creating content. Mm-hmm. Uh we don't have uh, all these people on on the ground to distribute it. So it's like if you're already in Ghana, if you're already in Nigeria, if you're already doing something on the ground, how can we give you this mm-hmm. content so you, you can take it to the masses? Mm-hmm. Um that's how we do it. So we are also showing in refugee camps mm-hmm. because we 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 partner with organizations such as the International Rescue Committee to take our content to refugee camps. Um so there's uh, I think also we need to um look at the education problem holistically so we've created content for kids but we're also seriously looking at parents and caregivers mm-hmm. because they're their children's first teacher and a lot of them in Tanzania or Africa say you know what i was not educated i'm not equipped to help my child learn i'm just feeding them i'm paying for school fees i'm doing these other things and it's like no let's create yeah. materials and and content for you so you can learn how to be more engaged and like things you can do with your child to help them learn and then we also have to after that look at teachers and say how can we help teachers continue training and it's not you know a lot of teachers in africa are undertrained mm-hmm. and so yeah you can have the teacher in school but like there's no creativity they're using fear as a source, as as a, as a form of motivation and they're completely discouraging and demoralizing these kids to learn mm-hmm. um so uh, like how do we equip kids teachers as well with skills so we would need content for that and that's something we are also interested in but we don't have money to do right now so okay. there's a lot of opportunities like we cannot solve this problem just one, one 
one way or one place yeah. here and then that's it we have to look at everyone around the child everyone around learning including the governments and everyone so we need all hands on deck founder investor whatever everybody mother father teacher Everybody needs to be on board and we all have to help and support our children to succeed. Okay, thank you. Um, one final question. You mentioned you like podcasts, so can you share some of the um, podcasts that you listen to? Po- oh, yes. My favorite, Life Coach School, okay. actually. And yeah. I listen to, I just love to reflect. And uh, by Brooke Castillo. Do you, do I, you listen to them on the way to work? Or? I do. Oh, so there's traffic in Tanzania. Yeah. And I used to hate it, but I love it now because of podcasts. Because I'm like, I can finish the podcast. And sometimes when there's no traffic, I get upset. Yeah, I know. <laughs> my car and if i haven't finished the episode i have to just sit like, in there like a weirdo know, until like, it's finished. i have to finish the podcast oh i'm like oh traffic great yeah, yeah. i can listen so i love that and i'm gonna be listening to this i i i i, I find myself um just sticking to one almost like mm. hoping to finish or something and then like i'll get to the next um but i think i need to diversify a little bit and just go here and here and here and here and here so yeah i think Oh, that's brilliant. Um, so if people want to find out more about what you're doing, it's www.ubongo, so U-B-O-N-G-O.org. .org, and then also look up our content on YouTube. Okay. Look up Akili and Me, A-K-I-L-I and Me, one word. That is our pre-primary uh, show for three to six-year-olds. It's so much fun. And if you want your kids to learn Swahili, it's also, we have a bilingual content on well, there. Well, four-year-olds, so yeah. need to get Yes, and then we have Ubongo Kids, and that is U B O N U B O N G O. Sorry, U B O N G O Kids, one word, and that is our show for seven to fourteen year olds, okay. and that is a STEM one, teaching okay. science and math. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure to get to know you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, so I'm here with Khadija from Praxi Labs, and. Um, we have just walked from uh, the main area of Global Education Skills Forum uh, outside into the, the next bit where all of the uh, rest of the content is. And you've been stopped uh, most of the way with uh, plenty of uh, people offering your, your congratulations and saying how much they loved your project. Um, and so to put that into context, that's because um, the next billion EdTech prize that's taken place here, uh, you are one of the finalists, you're one of the, 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 th- the three winners um first of all congratulations thank you so much. um and can you tell our listeners so um what your pitch was about today um and you know what you were telling the audience about praxi labs as well sure first of all thanks for um for your words it's been really exciting we've been very um i'm, I'm very happy actually now that's why i cannot talk well <laughs> Uh, so we are at Praxi Labs. What we are currently doing is we want to solve the problem of the dropout rates yeah. of STEM students. So there is this huge problem that's happening now, and it's global. It's not only in emerging markets, for example. Globally, it's now reaching 60% people dropping out of science, technology, engineering, mathematics. That's because they don't understand it well. They really have a lot of troubles, a lot of problems, because they do not practice. And why is, why, why is that happening? 
One of the main reasons is really the problems uh, facing students in the labs, in the traditional labs. We call them traditional because we've been always having these kinds of labs, regardless of the technology that we have now. So we can try to solve the problems of traditional labs by having virtual labs. So what are these problems? Some of the problems facing students is you don't have accessibility all the time. You are very restricted to a specific amount of time. You cannot have any second chances once you go inside. You either do it or you don't. That even if you have a lab at your school or university. Mm -hmm. Some of the countries, and especially emerging markets, do not have labs at all. And even in advanced countries, students, when they go to the lab, they spend a lot of time out of their time. So they don't use it wisely because they they, they have to do a lot of mistakes. They are not used to anything in the lab. They've never seen it before. So one of, the, one of the very good benefits of virtual labs is you can get students to practice all the time just before going to the wet lab. So you don't replace the wet lab. You still have it, but you increase the students' success rates. When they go there, they have a lot of confidence. They know what's happening around them. So we, go, we got a lot of statistics, not only ours, but a lot of other surveys that have shown that when you use virtual labs and go to the real lab, you have an increase in the performance of students by up to 60%, which is really a huge amount. And also their retention, their stickiness to the science and not dropping out is reaching 80%. So we've seen enormous benefits from virtual labs, and that's why we think it would be really um, a great solver for some of the problems happening now. And on the way here, a lot of people were, um, you know, uh, asking to talk to you, and they were from a variety of other companies, whether it was edtech companies or they were teachers. What's the kind of feedback you're getting on why people are interested in it, and, and you know, why do you think you were one of the top three out of how many co companies started yeah. the Next Billion Prize? So it started by 800 and then they chose uh, 30, wow. so 30 from around the world. And actually, I'm very proud to say that we were the only one from the MENA region. So it's the 30 from the rest of the world. So you're based in Egypt? Yes. Yeah. And then after that, after that, from the 30, on the first day they chose 12, then six, and then today three winners. So it's a way, it's a long way, but we've, we've done it. And, and what's that been like, that whole process of, I mean, I'm sure you've, yeah. you've probably taken part in other pitch competitions, but to give people an idea of, uh, you know, today you were pitching already yesterday, it's quite a, you've got to have stamina for it. So yeah, it's a lot of practice. And like yesterday, the, the, um, the winner of the last year, Chatterbox, she talked about it and she said the same words I would say to everyone. Mm -hmm. You need to practice all the time. So whenever you're in the shower, you're having breakfast, you're anywhere, you're just practicing. So I woke up today and before getting out of, the bed, of bed, I just said my, my pitch. Yeah, so it was yeah, like, yeah. you know it more than you know yourself. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. That's, that's, that's the idea behind it. It's like getting the muscle memory of your pitch. Yeah, uh, kind of. Yeah, mixed. exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, just to go back to the other point, so what's the kind of feedback been from, you know, whether it's teachers or uh, lecturers within universities or, or other people that have stopped you here to say congratulations? Yeah, so uh, true, I've been stopped by a lot of people and they're actually from various backgrounds. So, but mostly the people who understand it are the people who are facing the problems. So university professors, teachers at schools, mainly science teachers, uh, engineering. So they are already, every day in the classrooms and they say the problem they see the problem they see their students studying science in theory and that doesn't make any sense because a very big component of science is labs mm -hmm. so lab experimentation lab practice that's one of the main components of studying science and you cannot just go and graduate without never being without ever being in the lab 
And, and what's your, uh, you know, um, I, I suppose, like, what do you love about science? What, where's, where did your passion for science start as well? Yeah. Although I'm not a scientist, I have a PhD in computer science. But it was, I was specialised in human-computer interaction, which is really about all of user experience. So how do you let the human work with the computer and the best experience to have. So that was all my passion in going into this idea of, okay, we have technology, we have problems, how to solve them. But I was always facing that problem, even in our university, even in our faculty. Although it's not a lot of science, but just getting to let students try logic circuits or very simple things, but we don't have a lab to enter to try them. So they always understood it just by theory. And that doesn't make sense again. So. And so yeah. what's next for Praxi Lab? So you've won this great prize. Yeah. What would you like to do with it, with the momentum that you'll get off the back of this? We are having loads of awareness exposure, and that's amazing for us now. So we are in, we are in the uh, part of expansion to other markets. So currently we are in Egypt and Saudi Arabia. We would love to expand to markets in the MENA region, so like Dubai, uh, like UAE, Bahrain, Oman, all these markets are very important for us and we are talking to lots of universities there, so that's one of the things, awareness and uh, uh, connecting with other people. But we're also currently raising funds for our expansion, so it would be lovely to talk to VCs and investors as well. Okay, so any VCs and investors, universities listening in, uh, make sure you get in contact and what's the best way for people to connect with you? So praxilabs.com is our website. Just go there and we have experiments so you can try it and give us your feedback. And if you want to reach me, so an easy email would be khadija, K-H-A-D-I-J-A, at praxilabs.com. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sophia. So I'm here with the ladies from uh, Dost Education. Hi, I'm Sneha Sheth. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Dost, where we are helping parents get their kids ready for school in India. Okay. Hi, I'm Arushi Vasan, and I lead growth and partnerships for Dost Education in India. Okay, wonderful. And so basically today you, you found out that you're a finalist, uh, you're one of the winners uh, for the next billion prize. So how's that been? <laughs> it's pretty exciting. I think I was happy to see that there were two early childhood education focused organizations that win and Ubongo took away the first prize. Um, it's, it feels great, yeah, to, to be on a global platform. So, Dost, uh, I'm guessing then from what, you, well, from what you've described so far, it's about school readiness and it's about helping bridge that gap between, uh, you know, actually getting in school, having a level of literacy or numeracy. Could you expand yeah. a little bit further? Yeah, so I think the really um, cool thing is that our br- cool and scary thing is 90% of our brains develop before we're six years old. And so if we don't have access to early childhood stimulation, if we're not exposed to vocabulary, we enter school behind as children and then we can never catch up. And so at those, the concept was, well, it's really easy to foster these types of brain building simulations and experiences in the home environment because parents are already looking and craving for ways to get their kids ready for school. So the model actually gets to kind of the basic fundamentals of how does a mom who never went to school get her child ready for school and how easy is it for her to do that? And, and so what's the model? Is it an app or can you describe how those mums that you were talking about, how they would access that as well? 
Okay, so in India, smartphones are on the rise, but we're dealing with moms, and moms still tend to have feature phones okay. in the lower-income communities that we work with. So it's a phone call every day. It's mm. a short call you just have to pick up. It's automated. It's fun-sounding, like a short podcast, where we'd give a daily tip or an idea for them to engage better with their kid at home. It could be it, it would work on cognitive and social-emotional aspects. So using things found at home, and mother being the first teacher. Wow! So, can you give me an example? Like, uh, you don't have to do it in the voice of the uh, <laughs> the message, but like, okay. Um, <laughs> so, example. Um, so, there is an activity on sorting. It's it's this age old activity. Yeah. We remind the mom about it, where we just tell her that oh, you can tell your child that you mix these lentils and these beans mistakenly in a bowl, and the kid will get excited to help you out. And now the kid could get busy sorting those into different different heaps. You know, bases the age of the kid. You could put multiple kinds of lentils, and that works on concentration. That is a numeracy skill, and also keeps the kid very well engaged. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is such a big thing. The actual, you know, developing the attention of our children so yes. they can focus on tasks and that kind of thing um, and then so what's the the kind of business model f- point of view like how do, how do you kind of monetize it does that do the parents pay directly or is it funded by government or yeah that's a great question so we set out to build something and really design it so that it can reach the lowest common denominator so we didn't want literacy to be a barrier and that's why that the, we have audio content and so on we're structured as a nonprofit, which lets us design products that specifically are made for a mother who never went to school or may, you know, may have gone to school for a few years and dropped out. That being said, we're really excited to see that even mothers from all income levels are excited about having just this daily activity or kind of friendly voice calling you and telling you like, here's something easy you can do tonight or here's something you can think about or observe in your child. So we're thinking about um, ways to partner with other, you know, streaming services and other uh, people who are actually interested in podcasts and audiovisual design to see if we can have a more sustainable model. Okay, so at the moment, is it free and then... Yes, yeah. it's free for parents and then partners who want to bring those to their communities pay us for Got the you. platform. Okay, yeah. interesting. And so how did you both get into this and what made you kind of uh, start the, you know, start DOST Education? Okay, I'll start. Um, Well, I so I think it was very obvious growing up for me that I had access to a better education because my parents had a better access to their education. So my grandmother, uh, I think, dropped out at fourth grade. But then when she was older, made sure her my mom, her daughter got a really good education. And so you can just see how in one generation everything can change with the power of a good education. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been in this field in different ways for the last decade. And two years ago, I had the idea for those because I always wondered, like, what if these mothers just had a friend that was supporting them that was kind of not just giving them the confidence boost, but really getting down into the details of like, tactically, here's what you can do. And a few years ago in India, the mobile revolution began. And I, you know, I started seeing mothers from, you know, what we would consider a low income or mid income family having their own phone. And that's when the kind of insight hit that we could really make a scalable, fun experience for them um, through Dost. And whereabouts are you based? Um, so we're in Delhi in yeah. India. So you need like, uh, I would imagine a uh, mobile operator would be the obvious sponsor for this. Uh, <laughs> if they're listening. Yeah, if Gia's listening, we're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
you know the, the phone's there you know we want it to be ringing <laughs> um okay cool and then you know what what would you like to do next what's the next kind of six months year look like So I think now that we've kind of, we understand exactly what our users want because we've worked with 30,000 families. We actually also have live conversations with about 50 to 100 families every month. So I think now we know exactly what they want out of us in addition to the audio podcast kind of phone call system that we have today. So what that's going to look like is building towards both additional topics and content, but also giving them maybe an audio-visual experience through a smartphone app. Um, we're also looking to just make the current program as scalable and cost-effective as possible so that we can partner with, say, state governments and mm-hmm. other um, entities that are looking to serve the lowest-income families. And how about in Delhi? Um, what, is there a sort of edtech community that's kind of building there? What, what's the kind of... Uh, I haven't visited yet, so just getting a sense for our listeners of uh, other edtech entrepreneurs or users or if that, that kind of community is coming together as well. So, yes, we do see a rise of education tech products today, even in Delhi. Um, we have some of our peers working in education tech. So I believe there is a community now building up mm-hmm. and we just expected to continue to grow and and are there sort of accelerators and incubators or do you think this might be something uh coming down the line i think in another life we would once we're done changing illiteracy we would uh, (laughs) actually start one because um i think there's so many amazing ideas and potential um and there is actually something um for indian non-profits in general there's a lot of support for non-profits but i think the concept of being a tech nonprofit is still kind of new. So we've been really lucky to get support from uh, someone called Fast Forward. Mm-hmm. Um, they're based in San Francisco, and they only they accelerate tech nonprofits. And so that has helped us kind of think about how do we stay true to our mission, but also build the best in class technology. And are there any like must attend events as well in India on education that you tend to go to, or how do you kind of engage with the rest of the community? So Arshi, it's amazing. She has found ways to talk to school leaders, talk to parents. We actually have a avoid events unless if users are there policy for the most part, because yeah. really when you're building a company or a nonprofit that's focused on tech and a consumer driven platform, like the most impor- important person is a person who's using it. Mm-hmm. So maybe Arshi can talk a little bit about how she's actually yeah. gotten in front of those communities. Well, this is actually a really interesting question because uh, quite often it feels like, you know, innovations in education are sort of preaching to the converted. So, and that, that ability to, to kind of connect with uh, people that perhaps are underrepresented is notoriously difficult. So how do you actually, you know, build that trust, communicate, keep that relationship going, etc. Okay, so um, one thing which we've done over the months and over the years is that we've partnered with some local big organizations in the in, in, who are, say, working in Delhi or working across the country. Um, they have they tend to have a good network within the communities we want to work with. So at the moment, on ground, we have about 12 women who work with us part-time. I think they are our, you know, hands and feet on the ground and they're the eyes and ears Uh, they go out and they onboard people so a big chunk of our users come through that very direct uh, in-person method Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of trust there because you know 
their mothers themselves and they go talk to mothers so they want they're willing to share their number they're willing to interact and exchange information so that has really worked out for us and to reach schools again we have worked mostly through good partners we haven't gone school wise and we haven't really met these partners at events it's mostly been through a connection mm-hmm. or another mm-hmm. so we've also been fortunate that we found the best kind of people okay. i think one of the things that really stands out to me is how if you have, you know, one of the things we did was we had a chai session where school leaders came and actually talked to us. And we really take the approach of like, well, what are what are your challenges and how can we support that? Because we don't want them to use those if it's not really going to mm-hmm. solve a problem they're having. And so I think Arshi's really done a great job of building trust within not just like the parent community and the community of mothers who work on field, but also the school leadership community who really feels the pain point of parent engagement really well. So it does come down to trust and really understanding what that person is struggling with instead of thinking about like, how can I just like get my product out there? Mm -hmm. I completely agree. (laughs) Um, If people are listening in and they would uh, like to connect with what you're doing, what's the best way for them to go about that? Well, you can check out our website first, um, www.dosteducation.com. Um, and you can email our team at founders at dosteducation.com. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you both very much. Thanks. Congratulations. Well, I'm delighted to have Carla Ertz, director at the Tomorrow Institute, on the line. So welcome, Carla. Hi, Sophie. Lovely to hear you. Um, I suppose it's been a few weeks now since uh, GSF. Uh, we're back in the UK. I suppose now the dust has settled a little bit. Um, I wondered what your kind of main takeaways from this year's event were, and uh, especially sort of the EdTech track that was running at the event. Okay, well, my takeaways were um, pretty amazing. Uh, the event was so well received. Um, the feedback has been absolutely overwhelming, which um, meant that we've done something right. And it's, it's really gratifying to see how people engaged with, with the event. And I was mainly stuck in the ETEC room uh, in Spicy uh, for about three days where we ran the Next Billion ETEC Prize competition and also had an EdTech Summit, um, both of which went extremely well and were very engaging and very vibrant, I have to say. I wasn't expecting it quite as vibrant as it was. So that was an overall takeaway. And what was really fantastic to see was that uh, both the EdTech, the Next Billion EdTech Prize, as well as, of course, the Global Teacher Prize, were won by two African people. And so the African continent kind of got a special highlight this year. And that always has to be something really, really special. So pretty amazing event. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a defining um, part of GSF, I think, is is how global it is. Um, and I mean, from, from being in that room for three days, can you kind of uh, relay to the listeners perhaps some of the types of ed tech companies that were pitching? Sure, absolutely. I mean, this year, the next, uh, the, the competition went a bit further afield in as much that um, compared to last year, although obviously there were quite a lot of international people last year, um, but I think we had a bit more variety in, in, the, in the sort of the countries that were represented com- as compared to last year. Um, we had a huge re- uh, representation from Latin America, which was very exciting because it's always the continent that su- seems to be a bit further away for us. 
Even Australia seems a bit closer for some reason. So it was really exciting to see the kind of Latin American startups appear. And, and I have to thank our Varki Argentina t- team for that because they were really helpful in, in recruiting and sourcing the startups for us um, and did an amazing job supporting the whole event. Um, so and and what was also interesting is was was a variety of ideas again that that sort of starts popping up in edtech, and it's not just about you know delivering um, edtech to the classroom. It's also delivering learning supported by technology mm-hmm. or enhanced by technology in whatever scenario you can possibly imagine, and obviously the competition is targeting resource poor contexts whether that's in the global south or the global north, um, that uh, plays a determining role in, in how we kind of get to engage with the startups and the type of startups that or companies that we engage with. And that, to me, is really, really exciting. It's, it's something that always has excited me around EdTech. It's not just what happens in the classroom. Mm-hmm. It's actually that whole uh, concept of learning wherever you are and especially the access to learning, which is what a lot of these companies are enabling in places where there might not be very much. And that excites me about the whole proposition and about the whole competition. To some extent also a bit reflected in the kind of the summit content, we then also tried to curate around it and the speakers we we kind of invited around around the the, the summit. You know, we had a number of Africa panels which were amazingly well-received and very well-attended. And, and it was actually quite hard after the Africa panels to move on to the next one because everybody kept hanging around and, you know, stormed to the stage and wanted <laughs> to talk to speakers and wanted to kind of continue the discussion. It was really, really lively and vibrant. We then also had, a, you know, a China panel. We had an India panel. Um, so it was very nice to see all these these continents and, 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 and regions sort of represented in, in the content we curated as well. The Omidyar Network presented their report. They did a, an extensive kind of uh, research program in many parts of the world around how EdTech is, is, is deployed and used in, in different contexts and are developing a framework on the back of it. So they brought one of the Indonesian startups to kind of enhance their panels. At this point, a quick segue, as I had a chance to speak with Eliza Erickson, an investment partner at Amidia Network, about this report. Here's what she had to say before we go back to Carla. We were talking about a report we've just released on um, the power of ed tech, equitable ed tech, um, to be delivered in low to middle in- income countries. Okay, mm-hmm. and so what were your main findings from this report? Because I'm imagining quite a lot of work would have gone into that behind the scenes. Yeah, and- no, we've been investing in ed tech for several years in developing countries. We're very excited about the potential to leapfrog a lot of the current challenges on the ground in some of these countries. Um, but we have realized that basically it's, it's hard to scale it. Mm-hmm. And so we looked at four countries where education technology has scaled across a spectrum of students and schools and basically distilled those learnings for others to take Mm. them 
women scale ed tech in their home countries. Reaching those people, it's not as easy as just downloading an app. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what, what were the main findings and what can yeah, you share? Yeah, no, basically, well, when you think about infrastructure in these countries, it's very different, both the devices and the connectivity. You know, schools aren't all connected. Yeah. Um, devices may not be smartphones. They may not have data on them. They might be just feature phones. So you have to design for that environment. We have, you know, our portfolio often has an offline version and that can be used with all the same features and then synced once you have online access. So you just have to design for these environments. It doesn't mean it's impossible. Mm -hmm. You just have to take it as a user design challenge, which all good product developers have. Uh, Everyone that's listening in will will be interested in, you know, who you're investing in or what types of Mm -hmm. of, uh, companies. Sure, sure. And we're both a philanthropic organization. So we do grant making as Mm -hmm. well as invest in companies with social impact. Yeah. Um, In education and in ed tech, we're most excited about particular models that solve particular problems in developing markets. One, um, uh, you know, set of companies is in the adaptive learning space. And adaptive learning is quite interesting in developing markets because you often have children that are several grades behind. Mm -hmm. So if you have a platform that can meet them where they, you know, teaching at their right level rather than teaching several grades ahead, they won't lose another year of school. Um, so they can be used for remediation, give, bringing kids back up to grade level, um, and other things. So those are types okay. of companies. We also look at companies that help teachers who have been underprepared to teach um, with very specific lesson plans for how to teach a particular concept, like fractions, um, when they haven't been particularly well prepared for the classroom. Those are some examples of areas where we're okay. interested. And then what are the kind of conversations that you've had here at the Global Education Skills World Forum yeah. um, with the types of people that you've met and interesting yeah, conversations? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we wanted to launch the report here because it's very multi-sector. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, ministers, government leaders, you have the private sector, you have investors and entrepreneurs. And the report really <clears throat> basically finds that all of those people are needed to scale. Um, you can't just have, you know, bet on the entrepreneurs without a real ed tech policy at the federal level. You need to build human capacity in the system. Um, you need to enable infrastructure, you know, around Wi-Fi and connectivity. And so we find all of those kinds of actors are here. So it was a really good audience for the report to launch it. Well, you mentioned ed tech policy. Um, are there any countries that you're seeing doing interesting things in that space mm-hmm. or, you know, actually to put putting some of that embedded into their yeah. approach to education. Yeah, actually, I mean, everyone talks on the, about the U.S., so I won't talk about the U.S. I'll talk about Chile, mm-hmm. um, which may be less well-known. Um, Chile's had been in a 20-year-long initiative to um, have ed tech in their public schools, in their government schools. And they ba- basically paired connectivity, um, access to hardware, access to learning content and training with funding particularly for low resource schools. Um, They also have a set of learning standards. So to reach those goals, these schools were able to use ed tech. So they kind of took that ecosystem approach um, right from the top, right from the federal level and many years ago. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did you come into this? When when did you join the network, and mm-hmm. what's your background? I've been around a while, so uh, this is my eighth year at the Omidyar Network, um, and I come from an interesting background. I have a finance background, and I kind of went to graduate school and realized that there were ways to, uh, you know, basically align my values with my skills. I've literally just had this conversation. <laughs> With the woman that won the next billion prize who was working at Wells Fargo. Ah, yes. She's like, I had to go, you know, yeah. It's very similar, like Wall Street, Mm -hmm. I'm from New York, etc. But um, I had kind of an epiphany going back to school. 
um, and learning there were sort of ways to align my values with my skill set. Also, early in my career, I worked in Central America at a microfinance bank. Okay. And so I had a little bit of exposure to sort of business for for uh, social challenges. Yeah, and so. that scaling and, you know, maybe yeah. it's micro, but and the know, power has a massive impact. to deliver yeah. impact. So Okay. So and if people want to find out about the report <coughs> and download it and that kind of thing, where's the best place for them to go? They can go to our website <laughs> at omidyar.com, which okay. is O-M-I-D-Y-A-R.com. Dot com. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Eliza. Thank you, Sophie. So it became a really, really kind of global and uh, affair highlighting how context plays such mm. a huge role in all of this. Um, and that, to me, was, was really exciting. You know, one minute we were talking about AI, the next minute we were talking virtually about, you know, a, a kind of a feature phone mm-hmm. and how we can do, you know, try and get some access to learning using SMS messaging. Um, and in some cases underpinned by, again, you know, very smart technologies. So the kind of the, the, the contrast and the resourcefulness and a sense of innovation that some of these startups bring to kind of solve, you know, an access problem or a problem that, you know, we wouldn't in the global north solve that way at all because we wouldn't necessarily know how to because we kind of don't have to deal with those contacts. That's really exciting to see. And, the you know, I came out really, really sort of um, refreshed, despite the fact that I was pretty tired afterwards, <laughs> but just full of optimism about where it can take us. And we're going to hear from the three winners of the Next Billion Prize. Um, but if people are listening in and thinking, well, how do I get involved in this next time around? What's the kind of process? Okay, so what we did this year is we um, look, we do quite a lot of research to kind of look at who's around. And then we, a lot of the startups were kind of invited to apply, but also through our various networks and, you know, social networks, uh, through the Varki Foundation in Argentina, we kind of made some noise uh, around the fact that we were running this competition. And so people also started to make inquiries and and apply. And uh, we started our application process probably sometime late October, early November last year. And we closed it sort of uh, mid-January. And then we kind of, uh, we had about just shy of 100 applicants, I seem to remember, and out of that, we then selected the 30 who came to Dubai. Not a single one that we asked to come um, <laughs> wasn't there. So every single one made a huge effort to be there. Um, we sponsored their accommodation and obviously the time they spent at the conference and, and, and their attendance at the conference. And then, um, you know, the first day, which was a pre-conference day, we got them all 30 to pitch for a, a, a bunch of uh, judges um, from, again, different parts of the world and from different education-related disciplines, from entrepreneurship to, you know, professors at Carnegie Mellon um, and uh, um, a director of a kind of um, a chain of schools in Kenya uh, and an impact investor. So a very mixed bunch of judges. Um, who were involved in sort of listening to 30 pitches of three minutes and then scrutinizing with questions what these startups did. 
after day one, we selected 12 startups going forward to our semi-final on the first day of the main conference. They then pitched uh, for a slightly longer pitch of about five minutes with some serious questioning again. And then after the, after the second day of pitching, we then announced the six uh, finalists who then pitched on the main stage, the main conference stage, uh, on the last morning of the conference, um, opening that morning session. Um, and that was really exciting because they were all asked to pitch to an audience of, you know, around 2,000 delegates. And I can tell you, I was quite busy the night before till midnight <laughs> dealing with um, slightly panicky startups about this, you know, <laughs> about the state of their slides. So, but, you know, it was great and they all did amazingly well. And then to see three startups, you know, sort of um, coming to the fore, um, all run by female founders as well. I mean, five, five out of the six finalists were all uh, founded by by women. Um, and we had finalists uh, from Africa, Pakistan, Brazil, uh, you know, again, a whole plethora of countries, um, India, um, and and sort of um, seeing then three finalists from different, different parts of the world doing very, very different uh, things win this prize was really very gratifying well, that's wonderful and um so final point um if if people want to kind of connect in uh to what you're doing and and uh you know whether it's new summits coming up or or next year um where should they go to to kind of keep abreast of tomorrow institute okay so we have been uh, very quiet on the website front I can tell you that a website will come, uh, will start appearing before too long. Um, if they're really desperate to know more straight away, they can send them an email to info, info at tomorrowdigital.com. Um, and also, we will start making some, some noise about a meetup in London during EdTech Week. So we will have a meetup on the 19th of June in London at the VU Cinema on Lower Regent Street at 6.30, uh, where we will be talking about um, no impact, no edtech. So, um, and people are very welcome to, to come to this meetup. They'll have to register through um, an Eventbrite registration, and we will be sending out some um, messaging around that. Um, and then after that, um, we will be looking at sort of running some private conferences uh, on how we learn and on uh, other topics. But we are, of course, already planning next year's <laughs> prize. And um, more of that will start uh, appearing, you know, in the, me in the media and social media, probably late summer. Late summer. Okay, wonderful. Well, Carla, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Not at all. It's been my pleasure.
thanks for listening everyone if you enjoyed this week's episode we would love it if you go to itunes or spotify or wherever you are listening in to drop us a rate and review you can also check out some unique long-form interviews at patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the tech podcast have a great week and see you next time